Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, October 14th. In today's news, the Justice Department's unmasking probe ends quietly with no charges or public report. The Supreme Court allows President Trump to abruptly end the census. And top scientists are appalled that the White House is entertaining a proposal to hasten herd immunity. But first, the big idea. Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett disputed assertions by Democrats on Tuesday that she would be a reliable vote to take away health care and abortion access, pledging during the second day of her confirmation hearing that she has no policy agenda while deflecting dozens of questions seeking specifics. Barrett came into her nomination with a lengthy paper trail that underscores a personal opposition to abortion and skepticism about legal reasoning that upheld the Affordable Care Act. She testified yesterday that she believes Roe v. Wade, the 1973 decision that legalized abortion nationally, is not among the super precedents of the Supreme Court that are considered so fundamental they cannot be overturned. She said Brown v. Board of Education is such a super precedent, as is Marbury v. Madison. Trump's third nominee to the Supreme Court declined to answer so many questions that seemed steeped in basic facts such as whether a president has the power under the Constitution to unilaterally delay an election. Barrett also declined to say later in the day whether voter intimidation is unconstitutional. And she declined to say that she will recuse herself from a potential 2020 election case, as Senate Democrats are demanding. Although she's adopted the judicial philosophy of Antonin Scalia, for whom she clerked, Barrett took pains to distance herself. She declined to say whether she agreed with Scalia's dissent in the 2015 decision that legalized same-sex marriage and whether she too believes his off-stated view that Roe was wrongly decided. If confirmed, Barrett said, you would not be getting Justice Scalia, you would be getting Justice Barrett. At the same time, under more than 10 hours of questioning from members of the Senate Judiciary Committee, my colleagues Sungmin Kim and Ann Marimau note that she only reinforced perceptions that she'll cement a 6-3 to three conservative majority on the high court. Indeed, In many ways, she sounded farther to the right ideologically than Scalia, including on issues like guns. Trump's two other nominees to the high court, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, literally co-authored a book entitled The Law of Judicial Precedent that says Roe has been called a super precedent because it has survived dozens of attempts to overturn it, and it has been used to underpin several other Supreme Court decisions that protected gay rights and the right to die. But Barrett says Roe's not a super precedent because calls for overruling it have never ceased, including from her, though she added that doesn't necessarily mean that Roe should be overruled. On rights not explicitly mentioned in the Constitution, like the right to privacy that has grounded landmark decisions, not just Roe, but also Griswold v. Connecticut, a case that allowed women access to contraception, Barrett repeatedly dodged. On the contraception question specifically, Barrett would only say that there's, quote, certainly a debate about how to define those rights and how far it should go. On the ACA, whose constitutionality will come back before the high court in oral arguments scheduled for November 10th, Barrett on multiple occasions said she is not hostile to the 2010 law and she's not on a, quote, mission to take health insurance away from millions of people. But her legal critiques of opinions upholding the ACA have been well publicized. One piece of writing that's gotten a close look is an essay from 2017 that Barrett penned for a Notre Dame Law School journal in which she argued that Chief Justice John Roberts, who wrote the majority opinion when the court upheld the constitutionality of the law back in 2012, 
pushed the ACA beyond its plausible meaning to save the statute. Bar- Barrett said she was attacking Roberts's ideas, not him personally. Among the Democrats questioning Barrett on health care was Kamala Harris, the Democratic vice presidential nominee who mostly reiterated earlier questions about the judge's views on the ACA. She didn't really make any news refraining from taking an aggressive prosecutorial tone that had become her trademark in previous Senate hearings, Harris asked Barrett whether, before she was nominated by the president, she had seen Trump's statements about his preference for jurists who oppose the health care law. Barrett said she does not recall ever seeing any statements or any tweets from Trump on that subject. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this hump day. Number one, The federal prosecutor appointed by Attorney General Bill Barr to review whether Obama-era officials improperly requested the identities of individuals whose names were redacted in intelligence documents has completed his work without finding any substantive wrongdoing. The revelation that U.S. Attorney John Bash, who left the department last week, had concluded his review without criminal charges or even a public report, rankled President Trump at a moment when he's already particularly upset at the Justice Department. People familiar with Bash's findings tell my colleagues on the DOJ beat, Matt Zapatosky and Shane Harris, that what he found would disappoint conservatives who have tried to paint the unmasking of names as some kind of political conspiracy, as Trump has put it, bigger than Watergate. In fact, unmasking is a common practice in government to help understand classified documents. And this isn't some career person coming to this conclusion. Before being nominated as U.S. attorney, Bash worked in the Solicitor General's office and as an associate White House counsel to Trump. Number two, while Barrett was testifying yesterday afternoon, the Supreme Court allowed Trump to abruptly end the 2020 census earlier than planned. The court put on hold a lower court order that said the count should continue until the end of the month because of delays brought on by the pandemic. The court did not provide a reason, which is common in disposing of an emergency application filed by the administration. This summer, Trump said he intends to break with the past and present to Congress census data that does not include any undocumented immigrants. Two weeks later, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross said he was ending the count early by the end of September. It's unclear how many Americans are still left to be counted, but experts say the shortened timeline will almost certainly result in an undercount of harder-to-reach populations, including immigrants, minorities, and lower-income folks, depriving them of representation and federal funding. Justice Sonia Sotomayor wrote in a dissent that the harms caused by rushing this year's census count will be irreparable, and respondents will suffer their lasting impact for at least the next 10 years. If you haven't filled out your census form, you have until tomorrow to do it. They're still accepting answers until tomorrow, and you can fill it out online. Number three, more than 20 states have now broken records this week for record new numbers of COVID cases. The upward trend comes before the increased mingling of people expected to arrive with Halloween, then Thanksgiving, and then Christmas. The virus has become especially rampant in Midwestern states after dominating coastal and urban areas in the spring. I'm obviously particularly alarmed about the surge that's happening in my home state of Minnesota, because that's where my mom lives. But in literally 40 states, cases are higher now than they were last week. 40 states. Even D.C., And some northeastern states that have been faring well, like Connecticut, New Jersey, and New York, are beginning to see numbers rise back up. Hospitalizations for COVID are rising right now in a dozen states, including battlegrounds Ohio and Pennsylvania, raising the specter that increasing death counts will soon follow. At least 215,000 Americans are now dead, 
And a new model from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington forecasts that U.S. deaths could rise to more than 394,000 by February 1st. It is against this backdrop that top scientists, including the head of the NIH, tell us that they are appalled that the White House is entertaining a proposal to hasten what's called herd immunity, like we're sheep or something. Maverick scientists who call for allowing the virus to spread freely at natural rates among healthy young people while keeping most aspects of the economy up and running have found an audience inside the White House. The scientists met last week with HHS Secretary Alex Azar and Scott Atlas, a neuroradiologist who's emerged as an influential advisor to Trump on the pandemic, even though he has no background in epidemiology. Infectious disease experts, including the NIH director, Francis Collins, a Nobel Prize winner, says this fringe idea is downright dangerous. But a senior administration official tells my colleagues on the science beat that the proposed strategy supports what Trump's policy has essentially been for months. Critics note that Sunbelt states like Florida already have seen the consequences of young people flooding bars and socializing as if there was no pandemic. Hospitalizations and deaths spiked weeks later. In disappointing news, the head of the UK vaccine task force warned today in London that the coronavirus vaccine, if one gets approved, will probably be no more than 50 percent effective because, just like the seasonal flu, this novel coronavirus is a mutating respiratory virus. Finally, as it relates to COVID, here's two pieces of news you can use. Fresh research out overnight from Japan shows that airborne coronavirus particles travel further in dry environments. This is significant because it potentially makes humidifiers a valuable tool for fighting the pandemic in our own homes. At higher humidity levels, particles hung in the air for shorter periods of time and were less likely to reach someone seated on the opposite side of a dining room table. And a spinning studio in Ontario, Canada, that has been linked to at least 61 coronavirus cases, appears to have complied with every public health regulation. Crucially, however, Requiring masks during the spin class was not one of the regulations in Ontario. That is a reminder that it is probably wise to steer clear of gyms right now, but also that it really does make sense to wear a mask when you're around other folks. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, October 14th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. The Daily 202 is brought to you by Cleveland Clinic and the new podcast, Caring for Tomorrow. I'm Joan London, the host of the series. Please join us as we explore the challenges and solutions that are defining the future of healthcare. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts.